Hi everyone. Today I've got a special guest, an award-winning Melbourne playwright who writes dramas, biographical works, adaptations and comedies. His name is Kieran Carroll. Kieran, thank you for coming to Radio Karen. Nice to be here, thank you. It's nice to be able to talk to you about your recent show that you have written and produced, Late Late at Night, which is the epic journey of an Australian suburban boy and his journey to fame and fortune, a two-act, one-man musical play, A Story of Rick Springfield. Can you please tell me about the screenplay? Uh, yeah, the, it's a, it's a two-hour musical play about... Rick Springfield, the, the pop star and actor. And initially, um, my attraction to it was that um, Rick Springfield lived in Parkdale uh, in the That's late right. 60s and early 70s. So when he was in a band called Zoot with Daryl Cotton yes. and B. Bertles, um, a lot of those early songs were written in Parkdale. And he had, a, he had a solo hit in the early 70s called Speak to the Sky. And that was also written in Parkdale. And um, I was very attracted to this kind of local idea that someone had come out of this area and went on to be an enormous pop star in America and won a Grammy Award for Jessie's Girl and had 17 uh, top 40 US hits. And also because the Parkdale House became a kind of artistic sanctuary for him. And even up until 2017, he was still visiting the family home. Was he just? Um, yeah, and his mother um, lived until you know her mid mid nineties, and so it became a place of sort of rest and revitalization and um, an artistic kind of sanctuary. And part of the autobiography um, uh, is is written there. I saw that they were doing uh, tours as well of his home. Uh, there, yes, were, there there was there yes. was a, there was uh, there was a Kingston Council tour sort of as part of a sort of a an art bus tour yes um that the house in parkdale was um a stop off it was wasn't it yeah speak to the sky whenever things go wrong and you'll know you're not talking to the air to the air and the world will look better from up there What do you think that makes uh, Rick Springfield so appealing? I mean, all the all the girls went crazy for him, and he had a he sort of had a certain look, and he he could have been bigger than what he actually was, but he really made it bigger than the US. Yeah, um, I mean, he's a fa fantastic looking guy, of course. He's, <laughs> yeah. a, he's an incredible guitar player. He's a very good songwriter, and mm -hmm. he's got a great voice. I mean, he's kind of the whole musical package really to be a to be a pop star and he's got he, he has a lot of depth 
And I think um, he was very prominent early. I mean, Zoot were very popular when he was only sort of 19 or 20. Ooh. And um, he became... The 70s are very funny and strange for him because he's seemingly doing well in America, but really he's getting tossed between record company and record company. Mm -hmm. He's getting marketed as kind of the new David Cassidy. Okay, yes. But he's kind of a piano ballad writer and he's getting sort of put in teen magazines, but the songs aren't kind of really reflecting that. And by the late 70s, when he's in his late 20s, he's almost retired from music. Um, he gets an he gets an acting um, contract with Universal Studios, and he winds up in a lot of cameo roles in things like The Rockford Files and The Incredible Hulk and the Nancy Drew mysteries. And then, when he gets to thirty, he writes the Working Class Dog album. Okay. Uh, and Jesse's Girl is on that, and then the acting agent calls and says, "You've got this part in General Hospital." And the two worlds collide and just kind of go bang. And so the next five years are just um, incredibly successful for him. You know, I wish that I had Jesse's girl. I wish that I had Jesse's girl. I want Jesse's girl. Tell me, what can I find a woman like that, like Jesse's girl? I wish that I Long did it take for you to put the late late at night show together? Uh, these things are lengthy processes. I began writing the play in 2018 and um, I actually saw him in the supermarket in Parkdale. Did you really? Yeah, uh, <laughs> with my partner and we looked around and we said that's Rick Springfield and I was aware that his mother lived in Parkdale but it was still kind of a shock and I'd read the autobiography and um, my partner and I discussed it and I said... Did you go up to him? No, no, oh, we didn't. No we, no, we didn't. No, no, we didn't. <laughs> I would have. <laughs> um, we just kind of let him have his piece. But it, but it, but it was in my mind after that to, to, to try and then it's been quite a long process because I have to kind of get approval and uh, getting all the songs cleared for a stage show through um, publishing companies is a long-winded process. Mm -hmm. So it's been... Um, Almost four years, I suppose, of trying to get it going. Really? It takes uh, that long? Yeah. Well, the, the, the play was more than a one-man show initially. There was a stage band and other characters, and then I honed it down to a one-man show. So, um, yes, it's, it's been a long... And I, had, I had to keep sending drafts to the management, and uh -huh. there's lots of, things to mm -hmm. get, lots of things to get through when you do it. Um, when you base it on somebody's autobiography, it's a bit trickier. But it's all fine now. It's, they're, mm. they're, they're, um, they're very nice to me. Oh, good. <laughs>
did you find the artist Jackson Carroll uh, to play the lead? Uh, did many people audition? Uh, there were some people that auditioned, but I think initially my interest was, um, I was just flicking the radio dial one day and through sort of between Triple J and PBS mm -hmm. and Triple R and a song came on and I thought, oh, that's kind of an interesting pop song and I like the voice. And then they said it's Jackson Carroll, and we so we share the same surname. Exactly, I thought related. you were related. So it stuck in my mind, of course. And then I looked him up, and then I watched a couple of clips, and I thought, whoa, he's got a great look. I mean, he kind of looks a bit like Rick Springfield, yep. and he's got a great vocal range, and he's only in Sydney, and um, yeah. So I just contacted his manager and. Um, it's been a fabulous fit and, and he's doing a really great job with the director, um, Robert Johnson. And so, yeah, so it, it, it was very just lucky. I, I, you know, I don't even listen to the radio that much these <laughs> days, uh, but there I just found him on that. And Fantastic. Yeah, so it was, it was just lucky. Yeah. yeah. Great. If I seem a little strange, it's just a So Jackson Carroll, who plays uh, Rick Springfield, is a, a rising and acclaimed Sydney pop singer actor. Did he just slip into the role smoothly? Is it is it sort of hard to play a one man show? Yeah, it's it's look, it's very hard, and it's a really demanding show um, because uh, there are a number of songs um, plus plus going from the song into the the acting component of the script. And it's a really demanding show, and um, I give him full credit because it's—he's on stage uh, on his own for two hours, and it's—it's um, ma it's a massive role, really. Yep. I'm—I'm uh, I'm, I'm asking a lot. I'm asking a lot. <laughs> but he's—he's he's doing great. He's doing great. Is it a certain someone who motivates you to write the play? Uh, someone you admire, or is it a, a topic of interest to you? Yeah. Uh, I've written a number of biographical plays and they've been predominantly about sort of Australian men. And I wrote a play about John Newcomb, the <gasps> tennis player. I saw that. Yeah, that, that's me. And um, I've, I've written another very large play about the, uh, the actor Peter Finch, who um, won an Academy Award for a film called Network, but lived in Australia in his 20s and 30s. And I suppose I'm interested in men that are kind of brilliant but flawed <laughs> and mm -hmm. um, show kind of a full humanity uh, in terms of, um, I mean, both Springfield and Finch are kind of very troubled in a, in a, in a lot of ways, um, but have kind of achieved great things and, and, and both very sort of ambitious, but their personal lives have been um, troubled. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's a public life and a private life, and those two have often clashed. And I think I'm, yeah, I think I'm interested in that those worlds. Yes, yeah. that's what you like. 
Can you tell me uh, your favourite Rick Springfield song? Mm. Uh, there's a song called Love Somebody, which was from a film soundtrack called Hard to Hold. Okay. came out a little bit after Jessie's Girl. Big hit in America, but what wasn't a hit uh, in Australia. In fact, you could really say that he only ever had two big hits in Australia, one being Jessie's Girl mm-hmm. and the other one is Speak to the Sky. Okay. Um, but that's, that's a real favourite. He does a beautiful version of... Um, Mondo Rock's State of the Heart, yes. which I've included in the show. Oh. Uh, and there's also kind of some later material. He's done a lot of albums in the last 15 years, which um, not that many people in Australia would know. But there's another song in the show called What's Victoria's Secret? And, uh, that really? might be one to look up on YouTube. I also saw that he um done a documentary with Dave Grohl from the Foo Fighters. Yeah, yeah, that's about well. that's about Sound City, yes. these studios in Los Angeles, because Working Class Dog, uh, that the album with Jesse's Girl, uh, was recorded there, and then when that was sold, Dave Grohl bought all the equipment. Um, but there's been some musical collaborations with the Foo Fighters too um, through that documentary. Thank you for meeting me, Kieran. It yeah, was it's lovely been great. to meet you. Great. And, and great to be on Radio Karen. Thank, I thank, know. thank you. Thanks thank you. for having me, and I hope to see the show soon. Thank you. Bye. You can catch Late, Late at Night at the uh, Shirley Burke Theatre on the 14th of April, followed by Copac in Colac, then at the Potato Shed. Theatre in Geelong, followed by Main Ridge on the Mornington Peninsula, also at the Stratford Courthouse and the Memo Music Hall in St Kilda. This will be running from April to May. Thanks for listening and supporting us here at Radio Karam. I'm going to leave you with a spoken word from John Newcomb. Um, It's called The Man from Snowy River. It's from the album Swag of Aussie Poetry Album. Uh, This was released in 2010. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. There was movement at the station, for the word had passed around that the colt from old regret had got away and had joined the wild bush horses. He was worth a thousand pounds, so all the cracks had gathered to the fray. All the tried and noted riders from the stations near and far had mustered at the homestead overnight. For the bushmen love hard riding where the wild bush horses are and the stock horse snuffs the battle with delight. There was Harrison, who made his pile when Pardon won the cup. The old man with his hair as white as snow, but few could ride beside him when his blood was fairly up. He would go wherever horse and man could go. And Clancy of the Overflow came down to lend a hand. No better horseman ever held the reins. For never horse could throw him while the saddle girths would stand. He learnt to ride while droving on the plains. And one was there, a stripling on a small and weedy beast. He was something like a racehorse undersized, with a touch of Timor pony, three parts thoroughbred at least, and such as are by mountain horsemen prized. He was hard and tough and wiry, just the sort that won't say die. There was courage in his quick, impatient tread. And he bore the badge of gameness in his bright and fiery eye and the proud and lofty carriage of his head. But still so slight and weedy, one would doubt his power to stay. And the old man said, that horse will never do for a long and tiring gallop. Lad, you'd better stop away. Those hills are far too rough for such as you. So he waited, sad and wistful. Only Clancy stood his friend. I think we ought to let him come, he said. 
I warrant he'll be with us when he's wanted at the end, for both his horse and he are mountain bred. He hails from Snowy River up by Kosciuszko's side, where the hills are twice as steep and twice as rough, where a horse's hoofs strike firelight from the Flintstones every stride. The man that holds his own is good enough. And the snowy mountain riders on the mountains make their home, where the river runs those giant hills between. I have seen full many horsemen since I first commenced to roam, but nowhere yet such horsemen have I seen. So he went. They found the horses by the big mimosa clump. They raced away towards the mountain's brow. And the old man gave his orders. Boys, go at them from the jump. No use to try for fancy riding now. And Clancy, you must wheel them. Try and wheel them to the right. Ride boldly, lad, and never fear the spills. For never yet was rider that could keep the mob in sight if once they gained the shelter of those hills. So Clancy rode to wheel them. He was racing on the wing where the best and boldest riders take their place. And he raced his stock horse past them and he made the rangers ring with the stock whip as he met them face to face. Then they halted for a moment while he swung the dreaded lash. But they saw their well-loved mountain full in view and they charged beneath the stock whip with a sharp and sudden dash. And off into the mountain scrub they flew. Then fast the horsemen followed, where the gorges deep and black resounded to the thunder of their tread. And the stock whips woke the echoes, and they fiercely answered back from cliffs and crags that beetled overhead. And upward, ever upward, the wild horses held their way, where mountain ash and Currajon grew wide. And the old man muttered fiercely, we may bid the mob good day, no man can hold them down the other side. When they reached the mountain's summit, even Clancy took a pull. It well might make the boldest hold their breath. The wild hop scrub grew thickly, and the hidden ground was full of wombat holes, and any slip was death. But the man from Snowy River let the pony have his head, and he swung his stock whip round and gave a cheer. And he raced him down the mountain like a torrent down its bed, while the others stood and watched in very fear. He sent the Flintstones flying, but the pony kept his feet. He cleared the fallen timber in his stride. And the man from Snowy River never shifted in his seat. It was grand to see that mountain horseman ride. Through the stringy barks and saplings on the rough and broken ground, down the hillside at a racing pace he went. And he never drew the bridle till he landed safe and sound at the bottom of that terrible descent. He was right among the horses as they climbed the farther hill, and the watchers on the mountain, standing mute, saw him ply the stock whip fiercely. He was right amongst them still, as he raced across the clearing in pursuit. Then they lost him for a moment, where two mountain gullies met in the ranges. But a final glimpse reveals, on a dim and distant hillside, the wild horses racing yet, with the man from Snowy River at their heels. And he ran them single-handed till their sides were white with foam. He followed like a bloodhound on their track till they halted, cowed and beaten. Then he turned their heads for home and alone and unassisted brought them back. But his hardy mountain pony, he could scarcely raise a trot. He was blood from hip to shoulder from the spur. But his pluck was still undaunted and his courage fiery hot. For never yet was mountain horse a cur. And down by Kosciuszko, where the pine-clad ridges raise their torn and rugged battlements on high, where the air is clear as crystal and the white stars fairly blaze at midnight in the cold and frosty sky, 
and where, around the overflow, the reed beds sweep and sway to the breezes, and the rolling plains are wide, the man from Snowy River is a household word today, and the stockmen tell the story of his ride. <laughs>